Hundreds of years ago, medieval map makers were tasked with plotting uncharted territory. These ancient cartographers depicted the terrain of the globe. As craggy mountain ranges and lush forests sharpened into view, some areas remained untold and unknown. Anything hidden or mysterious was branded with three stark words, here be dragons. Welcome to Crosspoint, whether you're with us online or at one of our physical locations or ladies who are at God Behind Bars. Can we just together welcome the ladies who are at God Behind Bars and let them know. So glad that you're part of the family. We are in this series where we're talking about navigating uncertainty, and we all face uncertainty in life, so we're talking about what it means to live by faith and how to take that next step. And we've been looking at stories from men and women in the Old Testament, but we don't have to go to the Old Testament to see stories of living by faith. Um, we see that with one of our own, and I want to share a story um, with you. And, uh, and it's bittersweet in that it is uh, Chris Nichols and Stephanie Nichols. It's their story and what God's doing in their family, beautiful family. Uh, Kaylee and Riley, their daughters, have been part of Crosspoint for a long time. And Chris was a volunteer elder before he came on staff as Bellevue campus pastor. And then he, uh, he became the campus pastor at Nashville campus for the past three years. He's been leading Central Ministries. Steph has led uh, groups at Bellevue and also um, four central ministries as well. And, uh, and God is working in their family and it's called them to a next. And we want to sit down for a conversation to get to share that um, together, talk about that with you. Take us out. So Chris, we are here at the, at the Bellevue campus of Crosspoint. Um, you were in this building before it was even a campus. Uh, yeah, I remember there was a night, so I wasn't on staff yet, I was a volunteer, and there was a night that they opened up, they said, hey, we're gonna do a whole bunch of, of like clearing things out, and so, um, and so we had volunteers, so I came in and was ripping out old Circuit City stuff. We were looking to see if there was leftover electronics. <laughs> there wasn't. It was all gone, they took the good stuff. But Stev, you came on staff leading groups here at Bellevue. Chris came on as campus pastor and, uh, and such as um, just a significant place in, uh, in your story. And we're talking about what it means to, to live by faith, what it means to walk by faith and, uh, and to take, um, take steps of faith. And you're, you're taking one of those now. Um, I'd love for you to share with us about um, how God's leading, what, uh, what the role, what the opportunity is. Um, what are you excited about? Can you, can you share with us about that? Uh, so it's a church up in the Chicago area called Community Christian Church. Uh, it's actually in Naperville, uh, one of the suburbs of Chicago. And I'll be the campus and teaching pastor there at the Naperville location. Very similar church to Crosspoint. Our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. Their mission is to help people find their way back to God. I'm in on both of those. So yeah, that's, um, uh, it's also a multi-site church with six campuses, very similar to Crosspoint. The big difference is they don't have video teaching. And so each of those campuses campus pastors uh, is teaching and that's uh, the opportunity that gets created. Uh, I've had a lot of roles over the years here at Crosspoint and learned a ton and been developed and this is an opportunity to do something I've not done, uh, which is uh, to incorporate uh, that frequency of teaching and, and hopefully just growing in that area. Yeah, yeah you are your gifted communicator. I'm excited for you to, uh, to have that chance to, to preach each week. Uh, what, um, what about you, Steph? What, uh, what are you excited about? Um, I'm excited about for him. I'm excited for him to get that opportunity. I'm excited to um, 
we've learned a lot at Crosspoint and also excited to see kind of like what other churches do. Our whole adult life has been here. So it's kind of nice to see like, what are, what are other people doing? Um, there's an opportunity for me to be in groups in women's ministry. So um, we're gonna we're gonna look at that once we get there. But right now I'm focused on, let's just get moved. Let's get everyone settled and kind of see what God has. And that's a significant move you know, with, uh, with Riley and Kaylee and the girls. Um, how can we, how can we be praying for uh, for you, for your family? Well, I'll say this, there obviously a lot of conversations, it's a big change for everybody. And and we wanted to consider how does this not just affect me, but how does this affect the family? And just had a strong conviction that, um, that God didn't just have something good for me and the rest of the family just has to sacrifice. It was this belief that God has something good for each of us. Yeah. Uh, and we may have to discover the fullness of what that is. We may not have the full knowledge of it. And so there is this sense of risk and adventure at the same time, but that, that firm belief that God has something good for them, has something good for Steph, something good for me too. Yeah, um, we're excited because they're kind of taking on, they're going from a small private school to a public school, which is a different for them, but also there's opportunities for them to kind of see what's out there. And um, even the smallest thing of, they're really into Korean pop music, which some people know about, a lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a K-pop um, club at their school. So it's just kind of, club. there's a yeah. K-pop club. So just that like small, it feels like a God wink yeah. of like, I know what your kids are interested in and I'm preparing, you know, like I see it. So we're available for them where they're gonna go to school. So. Well, what what you're doing is, is what we hope for everybody. As a follower of Jesus, that went however God leads and however the Holy Spirit leads us, that we that we live that yes with Him. Um, I want to say thank you, thank you to both of you for the way that you have loved this church, for the way that you have served this church, for your faithfulness and bringing your gifts and your whole heart um, here. Um, reading through the Book of Acts, there there are like over 30 times where uh, where people say goodbye. And so um, part of the movement of Jesus is, um, is being able to, uh, to say goodbye. And I just want to thank you for the way that you've, uh, way that you've served and, um, and to, to pray a blessing. You have been a blessing to Crosspoint and continue to be a blessing. And you'll have podcasts that will be out there, I guess, with the church. Maybe people continue to, continue to follow along in the journey. Um, but we want to bless you in prayer. And uh, so can we do that and pray together as a church? I would just invite you. Bow your, bow your head and your own heart, and you can even whisper your own prayer of blessing over, uh, over the Nichols and over their family. And Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you lead us and how you guide us. We thank you for, uh, for the Nichols family, who they are to you and who they are to us. And right now we bless them in the name of Jesus. We pray for protection over them. In their journey, God, we pray that um, even right now that you'd be preparing a place for them, friendships, relationships, prepare that church. God, we, uh, we pray that up there would come down here through them, that the kingdom of God would be advanced, that the gospel would be proclaimed, that people, that they would make disciples together as a family and that they would draw closer, draw closer to one another, draw closer to you. And um, in the way that we've seen your love, your care, and your compassion through them, that God, um, yeah, that, uh, that people would experience your glory and your love. And would they just know that they have a church back in, uh, back in Nashville that loves them and supports them, be praying for them. This is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we just show our love and gratitude and honor to the Nichols family, to Chris and Steph.
And maybe you're hearing that and you're wondering, well, how can we come alongside them? How can we support? Well, the first thing we can do is pray. But then I also want to encourage you, there'll be a way for you to write a note. If you want to write a note of encouragement or your prayer for them and send that to them, you can actually send that to the church. You can send it to the Nashville campus. We'll take that and we'll make sure that we get that to you. In our transition, our, there were um, many who wrote, many of you wrote letters to us and we put, that in a, put those in a box and we still got the box of those letters. You can send those and we'll take, make, um, Make sure that we get that to them so they can have those as well. But we'll continue to pray for the Nichols and grateful for them. And, uh, and in this series, we're talking about navigating uncertainty. And sometimes uncertainty in life happens because of God's leading into a season of transition. And sometimes it happens in tragedy. When I was working on this message, I got a text that was sharing with me about the uh, wildfires in Maui. Many of you saw that this week. My thoughts instantly went to um, uh, our friends Mike and Angela Leone, who, who live in Lahaina, live in that area. And, uh, and we've met them because they're part of Crosspoint Online. And during the pandemic, they started watching services online, became part of that community. And so we connected with them. The kindest, most generous, just gracious people. Angela was one that I told you about. Um, she has the business where she manages condos, and she has many condos. For every condo that she manages, they sponsor a compassion child every month. So she built that into her business model. That's just the kind of person that she is. Well, reached out to her to check on them and found out they were evacuated from their home. They didn't even know if their home had made it. And, uh, and she was, um, I said, well, how are you doing? What can we do? She said, well, pray. She said, right now I'm trying to figure out how we can care for some of our employees who have uh, lost their homes, lost everything. And, um, and so we're certainly going to pray for them and encourage you to pray for them. But um, also wanted to let you know that, um, that as, a, as a church, we're coming alongside to help care for those, those people who are immediately affected, who lost their home, lost everything, with a check for $10,000 to be able to help them in this in-between time. And, and then also want to let you know that we, are, uh, we have written a check to uh, Convoy of Hope, who's our strategic partner that's already there with supplies and with support um, to help with just the immediate needs that are there. And because you give to the Disaster Relief Fund, we are poised and ready in moments like that to be able to come alongside and share the healing and hope and the compassion of Jesus through those resources. So thank you for the way that you give to Disaster Relief. And just want to continue to pray for you, Mike, and, and Angela, and what's going on. And it's, it's tragic. It was overnight. It was, a, it was a phone call. And sometimes the uncertainty that we navigate happens because of, of tragedy. But we all face uncertainty. There's uncer it's part of being human that there's uncertainty about the future. But I think what's most paralyzing is when our uncertainty is about identity. Like the questions of who am I and, and why am I here? What am I here for? Um, when, we, when we ask those questions, and, and I think some of it has to do with just kind of the society that we live in where, where identity is approached. Um, it's something that philosophers call um, expressive individualism. It's a relatively new thing in history, but expressive individualism is this idea that we put our identity together like being at a buffet. How many of you like buffets? Yeah, me too. And so it's like going to a buffet and just kind of putting like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And so we construct our identity based on relational status, based on um, what we have, our possessions, um, political affiliation. We begin to put things together, um, groups that we're a part of, and we just kind of we put things together on this plate of identity and we're like, this is who I am based on how I feel in the ins on the inside at the moment. So identity is constructed in our culture and our society based on how we feel at the moment. Here's the problem with that is things change. Relationships change. 
People change. Groups change. The market goes up and down. Performance ebbs and flows. And all of these things by which we've constructed can change. And in that moment, it, there's this crisis of, of who am I and why am I here? And the, one of the great gifts of following Jesus, of Christianity, is that our identity is not constructed, it is received. So our identity is received. So what we do with our plate, it's not that we just add God to our plate like we would add being a sports fan of a team. We actually give God the plate and we're like, God, will you tell me who I am? And so we receive our identity from him, that our identity is not performed. You realize one day the phone is going to stop ringing. So if the phone stops ringing and your identity is based on what you do, in that moment there will be a crisis. But with Christ, our identity is not performed. Our identity is purchased. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, you were not your own. You were bought with a price. So we have received an identity that has been purchased on the cross. That's why it's called the gospel, because it's really good news. That no matter what happens with performance, no matter what happens with a job, your identity is secure in Christ. That your identity has been received. In fact, when you go and look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, it, it says it this way. It says, it says, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You were mine. I have summoned you by name. I have called you by name. God says, don't be afraid. Not because, not because the future is not scary. The future is scary. He's saying, don't be afraid because I'll care for you. Because the same God, God is, he is the God of the future. He's already in the future. He's saying, I've got you. I will care for you. I will give you what you need in the moment. Angela, I asked, how are you doing? And she texted us um, this picture. And she texted us a picture of, of the... Um, her Bible study lesson that she was preparing for the middle schoolers that she leads there. And it was the picture of in preparation. And it's talking about Horatio Spafford, who was a great hymn writer. And he went through the Chicago fire. She said, Kevin, this was my Bible study lesson on Sunday last week. And Horatio Spafford wrote a song. He eventually, he lost his, he lost everything in the accident, lost his family in another accident, and then he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Wrote that song, the great hymn, It Is Well, out of tragedy, and God was giving Angela what she needed before she knew she needed it. He calls you by name. He calls her by name, Angela. Aren't you glad God calls you by name? Aren't you glad God's not uh, going through the Rolodex and it's fine? Like he, he calls you by name. He says, you are mine. When God looks at you in Christ, he says, you are mine. You belong to me. So although the future is uncertain, we don't have to be uncertain about who we are. But when we go through crisis and tragedy in life, what can happen is that we can end up having broken pieces. The things that we based our identity on, the things that we, that we, that we thought was such a critical part of our life, if we put our identity in anything else, in those moments when the dreams are shattered, in those moments when we experience divorce, Lose a job. 
when a child struggles. Stuff flies all over the place. (laughs) Does it not feel that way? That we can't control the fallout and the brokenness? In the moment when addiction catches up with us, and whether it's alcohol or prescription meds or pornography, comes a moment of clarity when we look at all the pieces and we go, will things ever change? Will things ever be different? Is there hope? I want to introduce you to something that God does called redemption. One of God's favorite things to do is to take the broken pieces of our lives and that we would offer them up to him. See, the temptation is to think, you know what? I'm going to put my life back together and then I'll give it to God. Or to think, you know what? I'm going to take the pieces of my life and I'm going to put them and then I'll get baptized. I'm going to put the pieces of my life back together and then I'll get in a group. I'm going to get the pieces of my life. I'm going to construct my life, put it back together, and then I'll go on a mission trip. Like, let me just put my life back together, and then I'll offer it to God. But that's not the way the works. We give God the broken pieces of our life, and he puts things together. It's redemption. He heals. He restores. He forgives. He makes whole. He renews. That God takes our broken pieces and puts them together. I love how John Ortberg writes about it in one of his books, and he he tells us, he says, the only way to fix a broken story is to embed it in a larger story that begins and ends well. Isn't that good? The only way to fix a broken story is to embed it in a larger story that begins and ends well. What do we do with our broken pieces? We offer it to God, and we say, God, can you do anything with this? And you need to know that there is no story, there is no past that's too broken that God can't redeem it. And we all need it. Because we're all broken people. And you can try to cover it up with a filter on Instagram. Or you can try to cover it up with saying, I'm fine. But we're all broken. And we all have broken pieces. And what we'll see from this story today in the book of Ruth is that God brings broken pieces together. Turn with me to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. Tiny little book. It's four chapters. It's page 252 in my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours, but if <laughs> I want you to get there. If you've got to look at the table of contents, there's no shame. Just find it in the text. And Ruth is a short story, but it's about loss, and it's about hope, and it's about redemption. There are only 84 verses in the book, but there are 23 times the word redeem is mentioned. So if, if, there's, if there's any area of your life that is broken today, If your heart is broken, if your life is broken, you're in a good place and it's a good day because God wants you to offer it up to him and you'll see what can happen when we do that. You need to know that Ruth follows judges. If you look, if you go back and you rewind one page, you need to know Ruth sits in the context of a larger story. Judges is a story of men and women who God used to deliver Israel from their enemies. And then the final verse in the book of Judges, look at how it ends. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. What the author wants us to know is that Israel needs a king. 
because people are doing, it's, it's a selfish, individualistic society. Aren't you glad that things changed and we've progressed and we're... <laughs> They were focused on themselves, and what he said, this is, they're, they're destroying one another, they're devouring one another, they're destroying, this is a dark time in the nation of Israel, because you can't build a society on selfish. You can't build a marriage on selfish, you can't build a family on selfish, you can't build a team on selfish, you can't build a business on selfish, you can't build a department on selfish, you can't build a church on selfish, you can't build a city on selfish, you can't build a society on selfish. And so nation of Israel, they're in a rough place. And so that's how judges ends. They need, they need a king. They need more than judges. They need a king. The people have rejected God. They're doing what's right in their own eyes, not what's right in God's eyes, but what's right in their own eyes. And it's led them to this place. They desperately need a king. And that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalan and Kilian. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So what he's letting us know is that there was this famine, and it was so bad that they had to become, they had to leave their home, and they had to become refugees in another country so that they would have food just to survive. And so this little family, by faith, set out to go to Moab. Now, this would have gotten the attention of the original readers because Moab, although it was on the other side of the, of the Dead Sea, it was only like seven to ten days of a walk. It was like on the other side. It might as well be on the other side of the world because Moab was a, was a country that was an enemy of Israel. It, they, were, they were enemies of Israel. They were at war, at conflict with Israel. And they were, they were a despised people. They worshiped other idols, even, even like in child sacrifice. And so they looked at, at Moab, their descendants of Lot. You can go back and read the story, but there was, this, there was just this, there, there, nobody really liked the Moabites. It was a broken place with broken people. And that's where they went to try to survive this famine. And it says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. That's Orpah, not Oprah, just in case you're taking notes. Got a little confused. I, I could tell. You just, it says, and after they lived there about 10 years, both Mahalan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. There's brokenness. We don't know what happened, but disaster, tragedy. And Naomi's left without her husband, without sons to care for. She's now a widow, and all she has are these two Moabites that her sons have married, and she doesn't know what she's going to do. But she hears, she hears that, that there's food in Israel. She hears that the famine has lifted, and when she hears that, there's hope. Because we can go back to Israel. We can go back to Israel. If we get back to Israel, there's hope. Bethlehem, which was where they're from, Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And so who doesn't love bread? So she's thinking in that moment, she's like, there is bread. There is sustenance. We can get back. I mean, Olive Garden, all you can eat, breadsticks. Like, this is amazing. We can get back. Leave the keto, leave the paleo, leave it behind, and get back to Bethlehem. There is hope in her heart. Hope is what keeps you moving forward. Faith puts you on the path. Hope keeps you moving forward. Hope is future-oriented faith. It's the continuing attempt. Hope is what gets you up to fight another round. Hope is what pulls you into tomorrow. 
And so there's hope in Naomi's shake. They get on the path, and they start to go, and she looks at, at Ruth and Orpah, and she tells them, she says, go back, just go back. <laughs> go back and get husbands. You got a better chance of finding a husband back in Moab. Go back to your families. Let them care for you. I can't care for you. And she just releases them. And look what happens. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah leaves, but Ruth holds on. And then Ruth says, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Orpah does what makes sense. Ruth demonstrates irrational loyalty. Ruth, her name means compassionate friend. That's what a compassionate friend does. Irrational loyalty. Like, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm clinging to you. I'm devoted to you. And what Ruth does is she disadvantages herself for the sake of Naomi. That's what friends do. To disadvantage yourself for the sake of another. But by doing what she did, she disadvantaged herself. And like their chances of getting married as a foreigner in a foreign land... Like, those are diminished. Her chances of living in poverty increase. She is disadvantaging herself for the sake of Ruth. And in, for the sake of Naomi. And in that moment when she says, I'm with you. I want, I want to be a part of your people. And she said, your God, my God. In that moment, what Ruth did was she took the broken pieces of her story and she said, I'm offering them to God. And this is the moment of redemption. This is the moment of redemption. In this moment, she got a new identity. In this moment, she, she gave her story. She took her broken story and she put it in the hands of God. God, can you do anything with my broken story? She gives it to him. And what I want you to see is that Ruth finds who she is by giving herself away. See, our culture says if you want to find who you are, if you want to find your identity, you got to go by yourself. But Ruth finds her identity through selflessly loving others, she finds who she is. She offers her life up to God. We find our life when we, by giving ourselves away. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you, you lose it in service of God and service of others. That's how you find who you really are. Uh, reminds me of an elementary school teacher who had this idea, and they brought, they brought 50 um, balloons and brought them to school, and actually had the kids blow them up, and then they took them, and all the balloons were the same color, and they gave them Sharpies, which is a dangerous thing with elementary school. So, and so they had them write their name, and so they write their, wrote their name on these balloons, and each one of them wrote their name, named their balloons, and then they took those balloons, and they piled them all together, and then they stood back, and they said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go into the balloons, mix them all up. I want you to go into the balloons. I want you to find your balloon. And so the kids just went and just frantically started looking for their hope, their balloon and like gave him five minutes and after five minutes none of the kids found their balloon said all right here's what I want you to do I want you to stand back and I want you to take the balloon that's closest to you and I want you to look and see what name is on it and then I want you to find that person and give them their balloon and within two minutes everybody was holding their balloon and that our happiness isn't found by just searching for our own it's found in looking for others and calling them by name and helping them find theirs. See, community is not a commodity that we consume. It's a gift that we give. That's why we have groups at Crosspoint, so that we can give one another that gift. 
of being seen and being known and being loved. Ruth's his compassionate friend. I want you to see what God can do through a compassionate friend. She says, Naomi, I'm with you. And they go back to town, and it's harvest time. Good news in Bethlehem is harvest time. They are broke. They got nothing, but what they do have is hope. Because of this ancient um, practice in Jewish um, and the Jewish people, in Leviticus chapter 23, Moses is giving a word to the nation. He's giving the law to the nation of Israel. And he gives, this, he gives this, this word to them, and he tells them, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you, for I am the Lord your God. Now, where is Moses when he's giving the, the law in Leviticus? Where is he at? He's in the wilderness. They've just gotten out of slavery 400 years in Egypt. God has delivered them, and they're in the wilderness. And Moses is, and I want you to see, this is great leadership. Because Moses is going, there's hope. <laughs> like, I know all you can see is sand right now, but I'm telling you, you're going to see dirt one day. You're going you're to see a harvest. One day you're going to have your own field. You're going to have your own house. One day we will have the promised land. He's putting hope in the hearts of people, saying, we're not going to be here forever. We're going to be there. But when we get there... Like, I want you to leave the edges. Leave the edges for the foreigners, for the orphans, for the widows. Leave the corners of the fields for those who don't have. Don't forget. Don't forget that you were slaves. You were foreigners once in a foreign land. Remember. And one of the ways that you remember, and listen, there are more, there's more than one way of being a slave in that culture. They were slaves to Egypt, but Moses is saying, don't be a slave to your success. And this is not socialism. This is not um, governmental, political. This is, this is compassion in our own hearts that when we see those who are in need, it's using our resources to help others, and they left the edges of the field to be gleaned. So Ruth goes to Boaz's field. She finds herself in Boaz's field, and she starts gleaning the edges, and Boaz sees her. And Boaz is like, who's that? Boaz notices her. He notices her. And he starts asking around, who is she? And they're like, that is Ruth. That's Naomi's daughter-in-law. That's the one who her husband died and Elimelech's wife. And she's caring for Naomi. And I want you to see this, that Ruth's act of compassion stirred up compa compassion is contagious. Mercy is contagious. Giving is contagious. And so what Boaz says, he says, well, I'll tell you what, um, Ruth, you don't have to just glean in the corners. You don't have to just glean in the edges. You can glean wherever you want. Boaz has game. <laughs> he says, Ruth, I, when you get thirsty, you don't have to draw your own water. We're going to take care of you. I've told my servants that they'll get water for you. When you get thirsty, you just let them know. And I've told my servants to protect you because it could be vulnerable for a, for a foreign woman in a foreign land like that to protect her from abuse. And so Ruth gleans, and she comes away with 29, Boaz gives her 29 pounds of grain, which is what would have been gleaned an entire month he gives her in one day. That's called the favor of God. Favor ain't fair. Ruth is walking out, she's walking out, and she's carrying, she's carrying 29 pounds. She goes home, and she sees Naomi. Naomi's like, what? You know, they were broke the day before, but now she's carrying a month's worth of grain, and Naomi looks at her, what has happened? She tells her about Boaz, and Ruth goes, Boaz, <laughs> he's, 
He is a kinsman redeemer, meaning he's in our, he's in the family of Elimelech. He's in the family in that he can, Boaz can redeem our family. She begins to think about that kinsman redeemer. If you're not familiar in that day, a near relative of someone who died could buy the land that belonged to the husband, which means they'd also have to marry the wife. There's hope. So, (laughs) and Naomi knows if Boaz cares for Ruth, Boaz cares for her. So here's what she says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 3. It says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi is coaching her up for the first date. She's letting her know what she needs to do. And, and Ruth gets coached up. She goes, and it leads to this beautiful moment where Boaz takes his cloak and he puts it over Ruth as a way of saying, I'll be your kinsman redeemer. It's a beautiful moment. But then Boaz says, there's, there's one problem. Um, there is a kinsman redeemer who is closer than me. In the lineage, there's somebody else who, who gets the first opportunity. He says, we need, to, we need to do this right. You see such integrity. Boaz says, we need to do this right. And so they go to the gate where the elders were, and they go before this other closer relative, and Boaz lets him know. He's like, hey, you've got the first opportunity um, to take, um, take her as your wife, to buy the field. And this other relative goes, no, I, I can't. I put my whole estate at risk. I can't do that. And Boaz is like, yes. <laughs> and the Lord provides. The Lord went before in the providence of God. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout, throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Wait, there's more. He was the father of Jesse. Wait, there's more. Who was the father of David, as in King David, as in the greatest king that Israel. No, who would have thought that King David's great grandmother would be a pagan widow, a Moabite woman? <laughs> that she would be woven in, who took the broken pieces of her life and said, God, I'm giving these to you. And God gave her a new identity. Gave her what she needed. Gave, gave Israel. Israel needed a king, and God gave a king. Naomi and Ruth needed a family. God set them in a family. See, the greatest way to fix a broken story is to embed it in a, in a larger more beautiful and more glorious story. And that's the invitation for you today. To take the brokenness of your life, and we all have brokenness, but to take the brokenness of your life, and if you've never said it, say, God, I need you to be my God. Jesus, I need you to be my my Messiah. And in that moment where Jesus becomes Lord of your life, when he becomes Savior of your life, are you returned to him? In that moment, he puts his cloak of righteousness over you, forgives you, as your kinsman redeemer. He is the true and better Boaz. He comes alongside you 
He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the compassionate friend. He said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. It's like Naomi, and that he is the one who continues to move forward with hope and invites you to follow, to follow him. And Jesus went to the cross and laid his life down. And he rose from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, you need to know our hope is alive. And today he wants to bring you hope. What's he asking for you, from you? That you would give him the broken pieces. You don't have to put things together. Just say, Jesus, you are my hope. Your faith, your trust in him. And he will be the life. Life for you. When you go to Matthew chapter 1, it tells us the genealogy of Jesus. In the genealogy of Jesus, it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Ruth makes it into the genealogy of the Messiah. Take the broken pieces, embed them in a larger story. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. It's an anthem. I want to go ahead and invite the team to come out. It is an anthem song. I think it's an anthem song you're going to want this week, that you're going to need this week to carry you through. We're going to practice together. We're going to declare it together. We're going to learn it together. That Jesus is our hope, and our hope is alive in him. And it could have been a Naomi song. could have been a Ruth song. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing together. We're going to stand and worship together. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us as we are, not as we should be. None of us are as we should be. But today we receive your grace and your mercy, and we would see the hope that is in you, Lord Jesus. We bring you our brokenness. We bring you our hurt, our pain, our loss, our uncertainty. And today, would we receive our identity that is found in you? And would you take what's broken? Would you mend and would you restore? And would you renew hope in the hearts of your sons and your daughters today? That you would call us by name and that we'd receive it. Jesus, we declare you are our hope and you are the one who keeps hope alive. In Jesus' name we pray, in Jesus' name we stand, in Jesus' name we worship. Let's stand together, let's sing. Stronger from the grave rose up from the grave. 
Because you're living in hope Because you're breathing 